sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Marjani Rawls. We are talking all about The Incredibles today. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? Trying to stay inside because it is still fairly toasty here, but you know, podcasting inside, that helps. It just gets a little warm with the room closed up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's back to normal on the East Coast too. It's around like uh, mid eighties, so I'm definitely feeling the heat. I don't know if we're I'm feeling the heat as much as you guys were last week. You guys <laughs> have like that massive heat wave, but yeah, yeah, was not fun. Now we're just back to normal, gross summer weather. So you know that that's that's fine. I can manage, but. You know, I want to dive into this, and the best way to start off is probably to talk about the cast, because when it comes to animated movies, you don't necessarily see the cast, but you just hear them. So you're kind of like, okay, I know that voice. Where do I know that voice from? I do that a lot with animated movies, but with this one, you have some pretty big names just from Bob Parr and Helen Parr, who are Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl. So Craig T. Nelson voices Bob and Holly Hunter voices Helen. And then you have Samuel L. Jackson as their friend, Lucius, also known as Frozone. So you have those three heavy hitters right off the bat there. And, you know, some of the kids voices and everything like that aren't going to be as recognizable simply because for the most part, they are typically voiced by children but what do you think of just getting those three big names in this superhero movie that isn't one of the big two in marvel or dc well i just wanted to start off by voices just kind of an aside i had no idea especially because i was younger when i first saw this i had no idea that Edna mode was voiced by a guy i thought, yeah, I thought me it either. Was <laughs> I like went through and found out that, you know, Brad Bird, the director and writer, voiced Edna. And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, like Craig T. Nelson, like you would know from Coach. And then Holly Hunter, like she's been in a, a ton, tons of things like 13 and you know, tons of movies like that. And of course, it's Samuel L. Jackson. You know what I mean? I think yeah. like if you saw Frozone and like what he does, like... Uh, these voices make those characters, they kind of like bring their characters to life. Like I kind of like when I like, I I wasn't a big watcher of coach. Like I know like it used to come on like maybe like when uh, Nick went to like Nick at night and it was on like, uh, like syndication back then maybe. Yeah. Um, But like it, it brings how they voice them. It brings like a whole identity to them. Like I could see, I can see Samuel L. Jackson in my mind be Frozone. You know what I mean? Like his personality, uh, especially with the scene where, you know, like, honey, where's my super suit? Like, you know what I mean? Like I saw it, like, I'm like, that's definitely a Samuel L. Jackson thing. And like, when I, when I went back and watched the movie and uh, of course, like, you know, down long, we'll talk about Incredibles too, but like, I couldn't, I, I like visualize these characters as being the human counterparts. Like, so like, and that's always important. Like if you watch like, you know, um, shows like family guy or the Simpsons and whatnot, like, you know, the humans are just as important as the characters that are animated on screen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way they portrayed these characters through their voices worked very well for each of them. And, you know, this came out in 2004. So I want to quickly talk about our viewing experiences here because I just recently watched this literally this year. And when I went and looked at the IMDb page, I was like, this came out 14 years ago. How did I sleep on this movie for so long? Because I knew about it pretty much that entire time. And it would have come out when I was like 11 or 12. So it just depends on when it came out in the year. I didn't look up the exact release date. But it was one of those things where I was like, how did I not watch this this entire time? And anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I could be pretty bad at watching some of the big movies that come out. But with this one, I was just like, wow, time went by so quickly. So did you see this when it initially came out or did you see it at some point down the line? I saw it, uh, like I was like 14 and 15, yeah, for, like around the same time, like 14, 15 when I saw this. But I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it when it was released. Okay. So like the movies before then were like Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., Toy Story 2, and stuff like that. And I do remember, like I did watch Toy Story and A Bug's Life in yes. the movie theater. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it shortly after, I think it was DVD or cassette or something like that. And like when they announced that they were making a sequel and like the sequel was coming out this year, it was one of those things where like a lot of people were saying, no, this is for like the older people. Like this is for the late, um, this is the sequel that like we've been waiting on. And I would have been like, I, I love I remember, like, I love the movie, and I just, before the podcast, I just rewatched it again. And I'm like, oh, this is why I love the movie. And, I, I mean, I would have been okay if it didn't have a sequel and stuff like that, because it felt complete. But, like, there were so many things that, like, rewatching it now that I didn't pick up on when I was young. I was just like, oh, it's like a, you know, like a superhero movie, and, a, you know, it's family. They, they have powers and stuff, and they're going to fight, like, the evil guy or whatever and like this big robot and whatnot but like yeah it was cool like it like this was back when pixar like had just first started you know what i mean like they had like i said they had like five movies before them but now like they're the super juggernaut now like incredibles 2 is like the 20th movie so it was good like and i i was like when i was like 14 and i i thought it was like pretty cool yeah, so as far as re-watching it, how do you think it stands up? Because when I watched it for the first time, I couldn't really tell it was something from 2004 because Pixar puts so much time and effort into their movies and animation will typically age better than live action stuff does just because a lot of the same programs are still used for animation or you know just more updated versions of them I would imagine I don't know exact details on how animation stuff is done but from 2004 to now it seems like it's a lot easier for a film like The Incredibles to stand the test of time because it's animated well watching it now um I was reading up on it a little bit uh Brad Bird like the director actually brought his own production team and they worked on the Iron Giant, which is also like visually is an amazing movie. And they were making the shift from 2D to 3D. 
So, like, it does look really, like, updated and stuff like that because, like, Pixar beginning uh, began to, like, emphasize, like, CGI and, like, 3D and then, like, you know I mean? Like, that type of animation. So, like, it was really, like, Disney's first of its kind where, like, the visuals and, and stuff, especially, like, when you see, like, uh, Dash running, especially that scene, like, where he's running across the water and then, like, that big chase scene in the jungle and whatnot like that visually it holds up great the story actually holds up really great too like there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that like there's um especially with mr and mrs incredible like where he's like he's going off and like like doing these missions behind her back and whatnot and like he's like you know just stay with the kids and she's like listen like we're gonna do this together and if you know like where the second movie goes for that whole, you know, like, you know, mother, father role, like that, that starts here. And especially like when he's trying to find his way into like the workforce, but he felt, but, you know, he couldn't give up the superhero side and whatnot. That was another thing that the story that like holds up now, like a lot of movies right now, like a lot of movies that came after that actually like touch on the same stuff that like the Incredibles touched on, which is. I thought that was really cool. Definitely. Before we dive into some of our favorite moments, I just want to quickly run through the movie. You mentioned quite a few pieces there. And, you know, you have Bob working at this insurance company and he just sort of loses it on his boss and loses his job. So then he's stuck at home and he finds himself, you know, like you said, going behind Helen's back and taking this job that doesn't turn out so well for him. So then, you know, Helen as Elastigirl has to come and save him and the kids sneak onto the plane with her, except for Jack-Jack, who is at home with the babysitter. So, you know, at least someone is watching the baby there. And you have this whole scene where this kid who looked up to Mr. Incredible becomes the villain and he calls himself Syndrome. So you have this character that has been established in their lives, whether or not they know it, he knows it so that he sort of grows with that. And as Mr. Incredible keeps ignoring him and not wanting to have a sidekick, he sort of flips a switch and becomes a villain. And that is sort of the big showdown for the family. They're going up against him and all his technology and everything like that. And, you know, I think with that it's like okay you know there's a lot here that kids can enjoy on the surface but like you said re-watching it you picked up on a lot of other things and I think Pixar's always done a great job with sort of giving the kids and the adults who watch the, the movies something to enjoy but it's something a little different based on how much you can understand so that's always been something I know I've noticed like Disney and Pixar have done with their animated films and everything like that but as far as favorite moments go you did mention one of mine and it's when dash is running through the forest and it's sort of this star wars ode basically to when they have the speeders and they're going through the forest and everything like that it really reminded me of that and you have dash sort of running away from the bad guys and you know they come up on either side of him i thought that was a really well done moment and you know he has moments where he has to abruptly stop and it's just amazing the visuals that they have 
in this scene because there's so much forest and then all of a sudden there's nothing and you have so many things going on at once. Uh, one of my favorite scenes I kind of already touched on, like the fur zone, like where's my super suit scene. Yeah. That was whole, that's hilarious. Um, the, in the beginning of the movie where Mr. Incredible and Prozone are posing as vigilantes was another uh, favorite scene of mine, especially like when they're in the jewel store and then like the cop is like, freeze. And he's like, oh, I need a cup of water first. And he lets him drink the water and then he freezes him. And then like you see the bullet like frozen in the ice and whatnot. That was that was another one of mine. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if we can technically classify it as a scene, but the Jack Jack short with Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> babysitting is actually uh, hilarious. And right. like, I recently rewatched that too. And like, she goes on, she's like, Oh yeah, you know, Mrs. Preble, like, don't worry. Like I can handle anything, blah, blah, blah. Jack Jack starts disappearing and reappearing. Uh, he turns in the fire <laughs> and starts uh, lighting everything, and then they get home and whatnot, and she's, like, exhausted and just, like, shooting Jack Jack with a fire extinguisher over and over again. That one was my favorite scene as well. Yeah, you have all those messages that she leaves, too, in her panic-induced state, and then, you know, it's like the pars get home, and I believe... Yeah, Syndrome takes him, and we see Jack-Jack's powers, but they do not because he's too far off the ground at that point. And then they catch him, and it's just like, you know, Jack-Jack is totally fine, back to normal, nothing happened here, move along. And it's nice that they give the audience that tidbit, because you're like, oh, okay, we know this baby has powers, and the family does not. So in a sense, I do agree with you that they clearly wrapped up a storyline and didn't necessarily need a sequel but i feel like giving jack jack powers at the very end for us to see there is something that i'm sure fans wanted to see more of in a sequel down the line and clearly you know people had to wait a very long time for it i didn't because i watched it this this one this year so you know i was lucky enough to see them like weeks apart pretty much which I know not everyone else had the experience of doing. So I think, you know, that is something we'll dive into a little bit more when we talk about the sequel in probably the next episode or next couple of episodes. We'll see how our schedules work out here, but we definitely are going to do these two fairly close together for you guys so we can get all of the Incredibles content thrown at you. But I think one of my other favorite scenes is when... Elastigirl gets into the facility on the island and she is stretched across like three or four doorways and you see the door close on her and I think it's just such a great use of the character's powers because sure you know Dash's super speed and Mr. Incredible's strength are you know still great feats to see on the screen but those are things I think we've seen on screen a lot more just between, you know, having the Flash and the Hulk and all these characters who have those similar powers. But with Elastigirl, it's not like we see Plastic Man or <laughs> Elastic Man all the time on the big screen. So I just think with her powers, they were able to do something 
very unique with the character and just give you these crazy visuals to go along with it. And they do it so well in this. So that scene really stood out to me because I was like, okay, yes, let's just keep stretching her and see how far we can go. And she does things like, you know, make herself into a parachute and everything like that. They really did get creative with what she could do. One of my favorite scenes were kind of like the parent moment um, when Elastigirl, Violet, and Dash are in the cave, and Elastigirl's about to go get uh, Mr. Incredible, or Bob, um, and then she's talking to the kids, and like, you know, in the beginning, she's like, never use your powers, blah, 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 and she's talking to them, and she's like, all right, I'm gonna go, blah, blah, like, if anything happens, like, use your powers, they're like, mom, you never told, you told us not to use your power, and she's like, listen, like, forget everything I said, like, what matters is what I'm saying right now. And, of course, like, it's kind of like a metaphor. Like, you know, like, when you're a kid and then, like, you have parents and your parents are like, all right, well, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. And just kind of like seeing it now, it's reminded me of, like, just, you know, parents just being parents. Like, all right, well, mom, I kind of want to do this. Like, I, I love doing this and whatnot. And they're like, oh, well. You know, parents will be, you know, they'll they'll tell you of all the, you know, the pitfalls that you have. And from there, she's telling them, like, you know, like, just be who you are. Like, you have these powers. Use them. But then she tells them about, you know, the disguises. Like, you know, it's important to always, you know, disguise your, you know, your identity and whatnot. It was like she, she was, like, giving them like this credence to kind of like go and be heroes. And you see that in the, in the scenes, like the scenes you just talked about, like Dash, you know, doing like his thing and then Violet doing her thing with the guards. Like, I just thought it was like a beautiful scene. Like you can see that like 14 years ago, like a parent can sit down with their kid. And then like, like you said, there's things in Pixar movies that only parents will see. And then there's things for the kids. And then that was definitely a thing that a parent was seeing like, oh, you know, I get it. I've gone through that. Exactly. One of the other things I want to discuss here is how this differs from other superhero movies. And I think one of the obvious things is this is an actual family of superheroes. And sure, you know, we've come to think of the Avengers or Justice League as a type of family, but it's not quite the same dynamic because, like you said, you have the parents and the kids here, and that's a much different dynamic than having these heroes who are each individually very good at what they can specifically do. You know, it's not like the Avengers has a group of children with them at all times. I mean, sometimes they might act like children, but that's a different story for a different day. And I think just the family dynamic is what makes this a very special superhero movie. And the fact that, you know, it isn't something created by Marvel or DC. It's something completely new and it still did so well because you know aside from the incredibles if you have just these other random superhero movies popping up here and there they definitely won't do as well as any of the marvel or dc movies for the most part i know there are some characters from image comics or valiant comics or something like that that 
might do fairly well for themselves, but it will never be to this level necessarily. And I think having The Incredibles come out in 2004 before Marvel was like really in gear with their MCU and everything, they hadn't really just hit that stride that they started to hit when, you know, Iron Man dropped in 2008 and everything like that. So I think the timing helped with this movie too, to differentiate it from those superhero movies. Yeah, definitely. This was like four years before the MCU started and then, you know, some time before, you know, uh, Nolan's Batman that was a little bit like it's a little bit darker, a little grittier. So like it's it's a superhero movie that like the whole family can enjoy. Um, Something else that was different is like Syndrome. You know, Syndrome starts off as as, like the super fan and whatnot. And then he becomes the villain, but he doesn't have actual powers. Like, it's just his scientific brain and mind and whatnot. And, I mean, he was eliminating superheroes, but it's because, I I guess, because he wanted just to be the only one. You know what I mean? Like, he starts off um, towards the end of the movie, like, he brings the, uh, that super robot and whatnot for their for him to kind of defeat it and kind of take all the glory, but it ends up backfiring on him and then the Incredibles have to come in and help him and whatnot. Um Yeah. I, I love that villain dynamic. And it touches on like the whole like, you know, hero worship thing and then like where it goes bad and then I, I don't know if it because <laughs> Mr. Incredible you know, didn't give him a try necessarily, but I'm like, you're a kid without powers. Like, what can <laughs> you really do to help somebody with super strength? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you would yeah. just kind of get in the way. But I like Syndrome's dynamic where it just kind of like this warped sense of like, you know, fan worship where it could kind of turn dark, which ironically, um, you can touch on with another Disney property. Lucasfilm and Star Wars and, and things that happens there. But like, I think I, I like that subtle like metaphor they had there. Yeah. Plus he's a villain who desperately wants to be a hero. So that's just a whole different dynamic in general because he does try to save people, but he's sort of the one putting them in danger in the first place. So it's sort of that hero complex that he has where he has to be the one saving people. Otherwise, you know, other people shouldn't be able to get to, do the same thing so that definitely was really interesting and i think just the fact that this is a superhero movie that doesn't really have any strings attached to it you don't have to know anything going into this like if someone were to just go and watch captain america civil war and that's the very first marvel movie they had seen they would be so lost exactly and this you can just sit down enjoy it for what it is and even though you know you have the underminer who comes in at the very end even though this new villain pops up it's like okay you know they're just gonna go do their thing again and while we do get to see that as it happens with Incredibles 2 like you said earlier we didn't necessarily need a sequel for this to be as good as it was you know it was perfectly fine as its own thing and yes great we got a sequel you know, that's fine because it did pretty well. (laughs) So, you know, I think if Incredibles 2 hadn't done well, we might be having a different conversation about these two movies. But, you know, it wasn't 
quite as big of a deal as the first one. But this first one, it was just like, okay, here is Pixar's own thing. Here's their superhero family. And this is what we're going to do with it. And people just ate it up. Yeah, like, I remember in like 2007, like they were talking about making a sequel. But this was at a time where Pixar was like, um, there was a time where Pixar was like, all right, we're not doing sequels for our movies. And then they did Toy Story 2. So we were like, all right, cool. Like, there's a sequel. And then a lot of time passed. And then more time passed. And we we're like, okay, I guess we're never getting this. And then... And then like four Cars movies happened, I think, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I haven't seen a single one. I am ashamed to say that I have not seen the first Cars movie. I know people really enjoy that too, but there are quite a few Pixar movies that I have to catch up on. I, I have seen the first two. I have not seen the third one. Um, I, I do know of a friend's, like my friend's uh, like daughter and son are obsessed with that movie in Lightning McQueen. Um, but yeah, like, the movie, the, the sequel just came out soon. It's amazing. And, like, you would think that, like, a movie that took, you know, almost 15 years to make wouldn't, that there would be so much time passed where it'd be like, all right, well, like, you, you know, like, there's been movies with, like, sequels that are like, all right, man, like, could you have done this, like, two years after or something like that? No. This one, this one actually is pretty great. And it speaks to the foundation that the first movie has. Like, the, like we get an animated superhero family. Like, like you said, like, it's not, like, attached to anything. Like, it's not, like, uh, you know, before we went to go see Infinity War, there was a, a guide where you have to, like, watch all 18 movies prior to kind of get what was going on. Like, not with, not with The Incredibles. Like, you just kind of sit down you know, with your kid and, or, you know, even like as an adult, you just sit down and just enjoy it. And that's why, like, you know, watching it now, like, all right, I'm cool. Like I'm older, but I still like enjoy that movie because there's so much, there's so much into it. Like, especially like, you know, um, with them not being able to be superheroes anymore. I'm a big fan of the Watchmen and that was very Watchmen-esque. So, you know, like there's stuff for adults, stuff for kids. Like the the movie is just amazing. So, you know, it, go see it, watch it again, um, and then go see the sequel, which I mean, we're gonna talk about, you know, soon. So, yeah. So why don't we go ahead and just do some general discussion on the movie now? Because there are definitely things I still want to talk about. The main one being Frozone. We mentioned that the character is voiced by Samuel L. Jackson and you enjoy that moment where you know he's asking his wife where his suit is or something and then she's like you know yelling back at him and we never actually see the wife we just hear her and I think that alone sort of tells you what the dynamic between Frozone and his wife would be like in just one scene and you know he's quite the character too when him and bob are out at night you know doing their vigilante thing in secret you know he's like why don't you just tell her you know sort of thing so it sort of sounds like he's told his wife and bob just hasn't told helen because of what her reaction might be like and then you know we see him 
come help out later on in the movie too and he has a great dynamic with the kids because you know he's sort of like uncle lucius basically to them and it just works really well to just bring in this one character as you know sort of the family's best friend even though it's really more so bob's best friend but you can tell you know he's very familiar with everyone in the family says hi to the kids says hi to helen everything like that and you know you can see the look on helen's face when he comes by and it's like you know oh they're gonna get into some trouble probably <laughs> he's kind of like um the evening out to bob because he's adapted to being just a regular person better than he has. Um, he, it's not that like, they obviously go out on that vigilante mission and that's really more Bob's urging whatnot. But yeah, like he, he's kind of like okay with it. And then, you know, toward the end of the movie, you know, he has to go and help the Incredibles when they, when they fight the big robot and whatnot. Um, I like that you don't see his wife and you just kind of hear his wife, like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, we planned this dinner for blah, blah, blah. I love that part. Um, and they harken back to it again in the second movie. But yeah, like, him being a longtime friend of the Parr family and whatnot, like, he... I, I love that, like, Bob has that friend is like, all right, man, like, you know, maybe we should kind of give this up. Like, now Bob can see that, like, somebody else has, like, a regular life, but at the same time, Bob can't give it up. So, yeah, like, uh, it would, I feel like the movie would kind of be not really complete if Bob didn't really have a best friend to kind of go to, because he had already, like, you know, had made the promise to his wife that, like, he would kind of, like, give it up or whatnot, but, like, I love to see that, like, he's still kind of, he has somebody with him to, like, tag along and kind of, like, do these missions show off their powers even though he's not really supposed to but yeah you also have the sibling dynamic between violet and dash and you know dash is the typical annoying little brother but it's done so well that you don't even really mind that it's sort of like oh of course the little brother's annoying because that's what little brothers are for sort of thing at least i'm guessing i'm an only child i wouldn't know but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where you know you could just tell he always wants to get on Violet's nerves and you have plenty of moments between the two, but then they come together when it matters most, especially in the forest on the Island. And, you know, they're sort of still figuring things out with their powers. You know, they don't get to use them. And then all of a sudden it's like this life or death situation and they have to figure things out on the fly. And I love that dynamic between the two. It's like, okay, yes, Dash knows when to be absolutely annoying, but then when it's time to use the powers, it's like he simmers down a bit, even though he's, you know, using his super speed, which just lends to him being super hyper in general. And I thought that was really well done as well. I like that with both their powers, they each have difficulties on their own. Like, Violet is like this 14-year-old girl. I, I mean, we've all been 14, where you just feel awkward and, like, you just kind of want to belong to something and kind of want to fit in. But, like, she turns invisible and she has these force fields. So, like, it adds to the whole, like, puberty feelings that, like, we've all kind of gone 
gone through. Like it just kind of accentuates it. And then Dash, with his speed, he just wanna, wants to play sports. I mean, who wouldn't? Like, right? Like if he ran track, played football, and stuff like that, it'd be game over. But his mom, you know, doesn't want him to show his powers. So like it kind of comes out in another way where he kind of like plays pranks and whatnot. Um, so I love that like they eventually have to bond using their powers. You know what I mean? Like, because they've had to like kind of hide in the shadows uh, due to like, basically like what older people have had, had to do. And like basically the decision on like the superheroes kind of like hiding their whole identity. Like it, it's kind of, in the beginning of the movie, you kind of feel for them because it's kind of unfair. It's like, what did what did we do? You know what I mean? But yeah, like I I like how they used both the kids. They like you said, like there's like that whole you know sibling dynamic where he, of course, like the younger one's going to be more annoying to the older one. You know what I mean? But they did this sibling dynamic really really well. Yeah. So we cannot end this podcast without talking about. Edna, who also goes by E, and Edna lives in this giant house, you know, secure gate and everything at the front, and for the most part, you probably have to have an appointment to see her, but we see, you know, Bob just shows up, and then you have Helen showing up later, and, you know, Edna is always prepared to say the least. And she loves herself some super suits. You know, you walk down the halls in the house and you can sort of see all of these old suits just in cases and everything in pristine condition and everything like that. And it's sort of like her house is a museum to herself. So <laughs> I thought that, you know, really showed us her personality and boy, does she have a personality. No capes. They she doesn't do any super suits with capes. So Right. <laughs> yeah, I love I love her personality. She reminds me of like, you know, um uh Q and Bond. Like she reminds me of like the supplier and whatnot. Uh I love like she has like this high class, like fashion, like uh not really like a snob, but like you know what I mean, like things have to be this way <laughs> and, and, and whatnot, and, like the whole like their super suits has to be fashionable and, and like they have to have like this aesthetic and whatnot. Like, yeah, I love that Disney put the spin on it. Like where she's not like supplying weapons to them, but it's capes. Well, well not capes. It's, it's like super suits and how they look and whatnot. Like it's like a, like a full, like, like Versace fashion designer. And, and she's hilarious. She's one, she's probably one of the most hilarious parts of the film. So I love that, and she's kind of like uh, like her own character that kind of grows. Like I know, like <laughs> there's a lady that who that we know that looks like Edna Mode. Like we get her Edna Mode figurines, and she's she <laughs> she does the voice like you know, darling, like <laughs> no capes and and what. So like yeah, I loved I loved her characteristic. Like it was pretty dope for disney to have her and she's very particular too you know yes. if something isn't working it just 
gets thrown out and she has this whole testing room, which I love. You know, she is uber prepared and it's like she's stretching the suits out and like setting them on fire and doing all of these ridiculous things that, you know, most normal people wouldn't think of. But when you are in the superhero business, these are very likely to happen. You know, your suit or you being set on fire, probably going to happen. And, you know, she has seen it all. And that's why she doesn't want the capes, because she has seen how capes do not typically go well for the superheroes wearing them and you know you go through this list of superheroes and it's like you know here's what happened to them so you definitely don't want that and you know it's she's very firm in what she is going to give the superheroes to it's like she doesn't need their input necessarily and she knows what colors are in and what colors are out and what needs to be updated and what doesn't so i just thought that was a very nice addition because her and frozone as the supporting characters basically for the family just fit perfectly with what's going on and these situations that they find themselves in. And, you know, I don't know if it's confirmed or even mentioned that she does Frozone suit as well, but I feel like she probably does. I I think she does. Yeah, so that's just something that I definitely wanted to mention because her character is fantastic. And like we said, voiced by Brad Bird, who did an excellent job with it. Doesn't she make an allusion to Mr. Incredible being out of shape? I think so. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> like, because yeah, it had been a long time before he started to, like, go back to the super thing. Yeah, and she makes, like, she's like, ah, oh, well, you know, like, I have to make this suit. Like, you're not, like, who you used to be, so. Yeah, we'll have to make the suit a little bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, is there anything else you wanted to mentioned specifically for the Incredibles like we said we'll do Incredibles 2 very soon here so everyone will get to listen to that but I think you know for the most part for me anyway I really enjoyed this movie even though you know I just watched it at home by myself whatever you know 14 years late it's fine (laughs) you know I really had a fun time with it and it's really nice when you can just sit down with the movie and have fun with it and not really feel the need to be like, oh, well, this one little thing didn't work, so I don't like the whole thing, you know? I try not to be, like, that critical of movies, but the more I write about them, the more I notice things. And with this one, I was just able to sit down and have fun, and that's just so nice to be able to do. No, I'm pretty much, I think we said everything. Um, Like I said, like, sitting it down, like, before this podcast, uh, Watching it again, I noticed so much that I didn't notice when I saw it when I was like 14. You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of like the testament to Pixar. Like, there's so many, especially like with movies like uh, Coco and, you know, finding like Inside Out and Up and like, especially Up. uh, There's so many themes that like are adult and universal that. It's amazing. Like you can really just like sit down and watch these movies as like a 30 or 40, 40 year old and like, all right, that's a pretty good movie. Like you can have fun with it. Like it, it hits you right like in the kid part or kid part of your heart. But it also like touches like the uh, adult part too. That's why, you know, 
14, 15 years later, like the Incredibles still had, you know, the steam where a bunch of people wanted to see the sequel when it came out this year. Like it, it was so enduring for that long that it still brought like this big fan base. I think it was like, um, like Incredibles 2, like made the most money like ever for like a, a animated film. So yeah, like it, Disney does it again. They're just basically printing their own money. You know what I mean? Like, it, Oh, okay. So it's, the 11th highest grossing film of all time, like Disney needed another one. And uh, so, yeah, like, you know, it's a great movie. It's a great, great movie that will probably like last and be like one of those classic movies. Like those, like a new age classic movie. I don't know if we'll like consider it like the Cinderella's and the sleeping beauties or like that, but like for like, um, our age like that that's kind of like that type of movie for it's for us right yeah there is one last thing i want to mention though because we didn't talk about mirage at all and she's sort of the one who recruits bob in the first place and then you know you can tell that helen sort of has this suspicion like oh you know bob might be seeing another woman sort of thing and that's something you might not pick up on as a kid but for us it's like oh that's where she's going with this and then that's when she goes to see edna and edna mentions you know the homing signal on the suit and she sees that he's on like some island and I think that's when her mindset starts to change and is like okay I need to go get him because this is weird something's up here and Mirage was sort of just this decoy basically for Syndrome to be able to confront Mr. Incredible and I think you know she was an important part of the movie but not necessarily crucial to your enjoyment or the storyline necessarily it's like she had her purpose she was used for that and then that was sort of it well mirage well that homing signal got <laughs> mr incredible in trouble yes like uh did. he was finding out all the files and he saw that like elastigirl was targeted and then all of a sudden she presses the homing signal, <laughs> yeah. and then he gets caught so in a way um it is her fault. <laughs> Mirage was just, it is, it is, yeah, it is kind of Mirage's fault. But in a way, like Mirage is just kind of a bridging point for the family to come together to to use their powers and like kind of like come together as this ass kicking family to not only save Mister Incredible on this like lush island. But like to show everybody what can do. So thank you, Mirage, for you know being uh, the point of suspicion on Elastigirl's part. You know, there's I don't know if you know Pixar really wanted to touch that route where like there's an adultery storyline. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like she now to kind of think of it, like she was kind of like the bridge to like the whole plot coming together yeah that, that's a good catch awesome well thank you so much for coming on to talk about this we will be scheduling the second one shortly i'm sure we'll probably do that like after we're done here and figure out what day works best and everything like that but you know for now to the listeners thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day thanks we'll see you for part two